When Eve became a mom, she may have said this, Cain, get off your brother. You're going to kill him someday. David's mom may have said, David, I told you not to play in the house with that sling. Go practice your harp. We pay good money for those lessons. Abraham's mom may have said, Abraham, stop wandering around the countryside and get home for supper. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's mom may have said, I told you never to play with fire. Noah's mom may have said, No, you can't keep them. How many times do I have to tell you, don't bring home any more strays? Judas's mom may have said, Judas, have you been in my purse again? Despite their mom's constant admonishing the people in the Bible, they loved their mothers, wouldn't you think? Don't you think the Bible characters loved your mothers, their, their mothers, <laughs> not yours, but theirs? You have to wonder what mom would have been like if she were raising kids in Ur, circa 2000 B.C. Some things would have been the same. Some things would have been very different. Several years ago, one Sunday morning before Mother's Day, a visitor mentioned to me, how much she was looking forward to next week's Mother's Day service. And I thought for a moment, you know, we we don't really do those here. I mean, Mother's Day is a secular day of observance. It's not a festival on the Christian calendar because this is the time of Easter. We give flowers and gifts and pray for all the moms and the prayers, but you won't find Mother's Day hymns in the hymnals or anything. Today, though, I'm going to attempt to touch upon the subject of women from a New Testament perspective without putting you on the receiving end of endless hallmark cliches about motherhood that, for some of you, may not bear any connection to your reality. In the Old Testament Hebrew Bible, you'll encounter many women like Ruth, Esther, Deborah, and Judith who were equal, if not higher, in some cases, in importance and authority than the men in their society. But something happened in the 400 years between the last of the prophets of Israel and the birth of Jesus. We don't have time to go into the the cause and history of it all. Let's just say, with the rise of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the legalistic approach to God and to living under the law of Moses that became very strong by the time of Jesus, women were seen as, in, as inferior in Jewish society as they were in the pagan societies of the Arabs, the Persians, the Assyrians, and just about everywhere else. Some questions we can ask on this day in our society is, did the things Jesus say and do change that for the women in his immediate circle? And if so... Did it change the way things are today? Let's start with the mother of all moms, Mary, Jesus' mother. Mary's influence on Jesus' attitude toward women isn't exactly known. But it must have been a positive one. We do know Mary loved her son enough to be frantically worried about him when she lost track of him in Jerusalem when he was a tween. 
We know she knew something was special about him and that something special was about to happen at the wedding they were invited to in Cana. It is puzzling why the whole family in in Nazareth thought Jesus was crazy when he was doing more of these signs and wonders throughout the region. Nevertheless, Mary was heavily grieved and distraught at the sight of her son on the cross. We need to look beyond Mary now, though, because, and, and look at the, at the women in his band of disciples. We don't know all their names, but there were a multitude of Miriams or Marys, must have been a popular name then, and there was one named Salome. They traveled with Jesus, and some of them even helped fund the movement of this new radical teaching of God's love for people and love toward one another. Jesus intentionally shaped his teachings in order to get his message across as powerfully to women as to men. Some examples of this are the things he said to the woman at the well in Samaria and the woman who was about to be stoned for adultery and the woman who poured out the very expensive oil on him the parable of the widow and the judge, and so forth. On top of what Jesus is saying and doing for the women around him, you've got the witnesses, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all presenting selected scenes and accounts of Jesus elevating women to a place of equality with men in the community that he was creating. With all this in mind, let's focus on one scene in which Jesus' attitude toward women is on full display. The resurrection on Easter. The very beginning of Mark's gospel, he tells us this book is about the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. At the very end of Mark, we are at the end of the beginning of this good news. When we hear and read the story, we know that the women who went to the tomb overcame their fears and spread the news that Jesus is alive. Everyone who hears and listens to them is challenged to follow their example. Don't be afraid, but believe that Jesus lives, and you also will have life in him. Let's back up just a little bit. When Jesus is buried, the women are on the sidelines of the action. It's Joseph of Arimathea who's got center stage because He successfully negotiated with Pontius Pilate to remove Jesus' body from the cross and bury him. Pilate is still the antagonist. See, he still holds power over the final disposition of Jesus. And Joseph, being practically nothing to Pontius Pilate, but just another inconvenient Jewish priest, he has to build up some courage to go before Pilate and ask him this favor. But on the next morning... The women come to the forefront of the action. Joseph's done with his task. We don't hear anything more about him. And although the angel is the first to witness that Jesus is alive, he's manlike, but not human. The first humans to witness the resurrection are women. Frightened and trembling as they are, Pilate is no longer the antagonist. Death itself is the antagonist. The women are thinking, there's no way Jesus can come back to life after what he went through. You know, perhaps it was easier for them to 
to accept that Lazarus came back from the dead because after all, well, he just died from being sick. But not Jesus. Not after what they did to him. Somebody must have come and taken his body away. What they hadn't realized was the rescue of Jesus was not an act of Joseph of Arimathea or the will of the disciples or the women. It was an act of God. The women step out of the shadows that morning and everything hangs on whether, despite their fear, they will go and tell others what they have seen with their own eyes and heard from the angel. We know the resounding answer is yes. Yes, they will go and tell the good news that Christ is risen or we wouldn't be here. God survives. The men failed on the, uh, at the cross and ran away. Frightened of the Jewish authorities. They were thinking, are we going to be next for following this man Jesus? When they came to the tomb after the women, they being Peter and John, they looked in, saw the burial clothes lying there, bowed their heads and with their tails between their legs, moped away into the sunrise. On that first Easter morning, the women also failed at first but then took courage and bore witness to all, both men and women. This was a dramatic affirmation of the equality of men and women in the fellowship Jesus had, creating, had created during all those walks from town to town, all those parables on the lakeshore, all those dinners at people's houses, everything he did, everywhere he did it. He didn't do it all just for the sake of equality. And, you know, just the word equality has got a lot of political baggage hanging on it in our modern world. No, one might say Jesus was correcting sin while he was on the scene. You know, a direct kind of intervention. After all, that's why Jesus came to us, to reverse sin's curse. Now, there's still sin in the world, isn't there? We sin even though in our baptism the old Adam in us was drowned. Isn't that funny? We say the old Adam. When we talk about original sin, we sh why, not, why don't we say the old Eve? You know, she was the one who fell for Satan, Satan's lies first, right? She's the mother of sin. You know how that all started, didn't you? Remember, remember learning the book of Genesis in Sunday school? Yeah? Come on. Adam was walking around the Garden of Eden feeling very lonely, causing God to ask, what's wrong, Adam? Adam replied that he didn't have anyone like him, no other human being to talk to. So God announced that he was going to give him a companion, a woman. A woman? Adam replied. <clears throat> then God described her. She will be someone to cook for you and wash your clothes. She will always agree with every decision you make. She will bear your children and never ask you to get up in the middle of the night to care for them. The woman will not nag you and will always be the first to admit when she is wrong. She will never have a headache and will freely give you love and compassion whenever you need it. What's it going to cost me, God? Adam asked. An arm and a leg, God replied. Adam thought for a moment and asked, 
Well, what can I get for just a rib? Funny as that joke may be to some, the enmity between men and women is, is in there. It's shown in it. But remember this. Jesus died to clear, your, to clear from your record and mine the belief of being superior and acting superior to others. We are to love one another and certainly not lower any group, whether they be men or women, as what happened with Israel long ago. Jesus knows what it's like to be a man. Since he was not born a female, it follows that he does not know what it's like to be a woman. He does not know what it's like to be confused between the two or decide to be one or the other on his own volition. He does not know what it's like to be a mother or a human father. He does know what it's like to be human, which assumes an awful lot. An awful lot of pain, anguish, anxiety, confusion, and the like. What you and I and everyone else have gone through and are going through. It also assumes happiness and joy and peace. He knows what those are like too. He doesn't know what it's like to be prideful, arrogant, stubbornly disobedient, and the like. Those traps, if you fall into them headlong, lead to death if you let them overtake you. Yet Jesus died so that you and I wouldn't be condemned to death for those things. The playing field for forgiveness is leveled by Jesus for those who hear the good news and believe. Men and women of faith receive as God's children, as heirs, His kingdom and all it contains. You might, or uh, Jesus' mother Mary may have said to Jesus, Jesus, put that hammer down. You might put a nail through your finger. Well, if she said that, how prophetic it would have been. She would have had no idea what she would witness years later. Being a Jewish woman, however, she might have recalled the promise in the scroll of Isaiah that the Messiah would be pierced for our transgressions. He didn't drive those nails through his own hands and feet. They were hammered in by sinful men. Yet Jesus asked his father to forgive them, for they did not know what they were doing. What an act of grace and compassion. He extends the same grace and compassion to you and me. Amen.